isn't it a pity about Chippy, they said. Such a plucky little fellow, beautiful plumage and a lovely song. But that was then and this was now. Chippy was a parakeet, contentedly living out his days in Galveston, the pride and joy of a single elderly lady, enjoying the serenity of her retirement with her feathered companion. Until the fateful day when Chippy's mistress vacuumed a little too vigorously. It's one thing to vacuum the carpet, it's another to vacuum the bird's cage that way. Yet, oblivious to the dangers inherent in a long-hosed vacuum cleaner without its attachments when it comes within sucking distance of a parakeet, she merrily set about cleaning up the stuff that accumulates on the floor of bird cages. The Galveston Press reported that all was going well until the phone rang, and as she reached over to lift the receiver, she heard an ominous thud from deep within the vacuum cleaner. Immediately realising what had happened, she threw the phone down, rushed to the vacuum, turned it off, pulled out the dust bag and ripped it open. And there was Chippy, sitting amid the dust and feathers, stunned but still very much alive. But that's not the end of the story. Being a thoughtful and kind pet owner, the woman gently lifted him up and bore his dazed and confused body to the bathroom, where she held him under the faucet to wash him. Her kindness then extended to turning the hairdryer on him to leave him pristine and dry. Now, this, of course, is the kind of story that the local newspaper relishes. So the Galveston Press sent a reporter to interview Chippy's owner. He conducted the interview, and just as he was finishing, he asked her, How's Chippy doing now? And she answered, Well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sort of sits and stares. A parakeet with post-traumatic stress disorder. Sucked up, put through a car wash, then placed in a hurricane-force desert wind. Life will do that to you. Especially life in the early 21st century, when the pace of change is so bewildering, the shift in cultural landscape so seismic, that who doesn't feel like they're sitting on a perch like a concussed parakeet? Well, Isaiah and his people probably did. Chapter 61 of that book, which we've read this morning, was written to the nation of Israel when they were in despair and anguish. They had suffered national disgrace, economic catastrophe and military disaster at the hands of the Babylonians. The brightest and best of the nation had been carried into exile in Babylon to work for the might of the empire, while those without useful skills were left in Jerusalem to languish in their shame. Like Chippy, they just sat there and stared. Post-traumatic exile. Now that you know that, 
Aren't you a tad surprised to read of Isaiah's hope and, shockingly, his joy? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to comfort those who mourn in Zion. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my whole being shall exult in my God. Imagine saying that to a city that lay in ruins and a people that languished in defeat. To the folk who sat and stared in post-traumatic exile. Isaiah had an extraordinary and Holy Spirit-inspired imagination to see all this chaos and suffering and somehow see God's hand bringing it to a good conclusion. So this morning I want to ask the question, how is your imagination? Because the Advent hope is elusive. In the disorientation of life's brutal blows, can you imagine shepherds beholding angels in a field, foreign dignitaries visiting a baby in a stable, and God lying in a cattle trough? Can you imagine good news being preached to the social outcast, the broken-hearted healed, prisoners behind bars of anguish liberated from their jails? Those spirits, heavy with mourning, emerging and leaping for joy like a horse set free from a long confinement in its stall. Can you picture the the grieving, casting aside their tear-sodden handkerchiefs and rising to their feet as they experience a new day dawning in their souls? Can you imagine those wounded lives who have been blighted by loss and whose faith has been consumed by cynicism and unbelief? Can you imagine those spirits being resuscitated by the breath of God, resurrected in their faith and filled with praise? Can you imagine places devastated by war being rebuilt? The destitute decked out in wedding clothes. Righteousness springing up like daffodils poking their heads through the snow. Can you imagine shame transformed into dignity, disgrace into nobility? This Advent time, can you share the imagination of Isaiah? A very fine Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann says that the task of the prophet was to cut through the numbness. I like that phrase. And here's Isaiah doing just that, cutting through the numbness. The deadening state of mind that says God won't act, God can't act. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Numb hearts and cold souls. And our crazy world will do that to a person, even the most faithful Christian. 
Human hearts easily become desensitised. One more pain, one more insult, one more rejection, one more betrayal, one more famine on the news, one more flood, one more natural disaster, one more war-torn nation, one million more refugees. Compassion can be squeezed out of our lives and all that is left is numbness. But when God gets to work on a human heart, it's like surgery. It's as if he cuts away the dead, numb tissue and makes us feel again. All those joy receptors that were dead, those nerve endings of conscience that had ceased working, those arteries of compassion that had become clogged up with the cholesterol of despair, all made new and healthy and whole again. Look at the verbs that Isaiah uses in chapter 61. Building, proclaiming, releasing, comforting, providing, bestowing, planting, rebuilding, restoring, renewing, clothing. They're all in that Bible reading. They're words of action and words of grace. Inspiring, transforming words. In an age when so many are intent on the opposite of these things. Destruction, tearing down, taking away, uprooting, condemning. The third Sunday of Advent is Pink Candle Day. The purple is punctuated by pink. The solemnity separated by song. They planned it this way. The third Sunday of Advent is the Sunday of joy. Isaiah's prophecy reaches into our stomachs and drops an Alka-Seltzer there. The fizz of hope, the bubbles of joy. Now we mustn't confuse the fizz of joy with the froth of happiness. The fizz comes from below, the froth just sits on the top. The way we normally use the word happy, we usually mean that we're experiencing a pleasant feeling because our circumstances are agreeable. Life is going well, we're happy. My team won, I'm happy. I had a lovely meal, I'm happy. My boss complimented me on my work, I'm happy. I spent the evening with friends, I'm happy. I'm on vacation, I'm happy. Now, I'm not criticising that. Thank God for our pleasant circumstances. But that is not the joy Isaiah exudes, even in the midst of a nation of chippies in post-traumatic exile. The Bible mentions joy or rejoicing 330 times, but it only mentions happiness 26. Joy is not an emotion, but a quality of life. It is a celebration of the fact that you are God's child, that he loves us even when our circumstances are unpleasant. I wish I could tell you what this was like. Point to some resilient, enduring state of joy even as I was being sucked by life's vacuum cleaner. But I'm not sure I can. My joy comes and goes with my circumstances, ebbs and flows with my moods. I guess that makes it happiness and not joy. 
Chippy the parakeet is my brother. All I can do is tell you that I am in awe of the Christians I know who are joyful in desperate times and reassure you that I, like all of you, am on a journey. I hope I'm making my way gradually towards being the person God wants me to be, as I hope you are too. I really want that for myself, and I want that for you. I can be one of those Christians that have a deep joy, so deep you'd never know it was there. Roger Baker, a clinical psychologist, wrote the 12 steps to unhappiness. If you really want to banish all joy from your life, he says, here is what you should do. One, ruminate. Go over and over something that upset you. Rehearse old arguments. Two, consider yourself a failure and keep reminding yourself you always will be. Three, feed your hypochondria. Monitor your bodily sensations constantly. Four, be a black and white perfectionist. Emphasise the negative and minimise the positive in your unachievable quest for perfection. Five, don't be holistic. Look for purely physical reasons for any vague sensation you have. Six, lose your perspective on things and keep it lost. Seven, worry about something about which you can do nothing. Eight, be right. Be always right. Be the only one who is always right and be rigid in your rightness. Nine, don't trust or believe people or accept them as anything but their worst and weakest. Ten, always compare yourself unfavourably with others. Eleven, take personally everything that happens to you. And twelve, don't give yourself wholeheartedly to anyone or anything. If any of those hurt, then sit on the perch with Chippy and me. There's plenty of room. Or we could choose joy. Instead of sitting with Chippy, we can soar with Isaiah and focus with him on the goodness of God. The profound assurance that even when we've been sucked up, hosed off and blown away, even as we stagger in our post-traumatic exile, God has a plan. We can choose to fly with Isaiah, think on the promises of God, remember the days of plenty and ease, fan into flame the advent hope that this will not go on forever. So may you, this week, be a herald of the coming of Christ, to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Amen.